Welcome to the new. Every experience with God's Word promises to be refreshing and transformational. Receive today's message with high expectations as it brings power, light, and a fresh anointing to your life. Amen. Are you ready for the Word now? Yes, sir. Am I in the new? Yes, sir. Are you ready for the Word now? Yes, sir. All right, pull up your Bible and say, I love my Bible. I can hear you. I love my Bible. Bible. Sound, I beg you. All right. Today is, you're you're giving me a tough time here today, please. Amen. 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 Say after me, I love my Bible. I I read it. it. Okay. If you can declare those things I say, raise your hands. No, I changed my mind. Don't raise your hands. Praise the Lord. Now let me teach you a few things. Whenever you pick up the Bible, and like I said, Tuesday services would be for teaching and drilling down into the Word. It's Bible school every Tuesday service. And if you are here for midweek services, those who are here physically and those who are joining online, you must always have a writing material and a pen so that you can jot and write the things down that you would learn during the services. It's very important. Now, to start with, this book in your hand called the Bible, Inside this book called the Bible that some of us put under our pillow when we want to sleep or some of us stretch to the devil when you want to cast out demons. I don't know where they got all those kind of things from. But this Bible, every time you read it, it contains three things. Whenever you are reading the Bible, you are looking out for three important things. Number one, are the promises of God. Number one, are the promises of God. The Bible is made up and the scriptures are full of the promises of God. The promises of God are the border points upon which, I like to put it this way, they are the jurisdictions upon which God by himself is committed to perform his function. It means that if it's not in the promise of God, you cannot hold him accountable or hold him responsible because he has not promised you that thing. So every time you pick up your Bible to read your Bible, you must be looking out for the promises of God. And you see, the promises of God are not only found in the Old Testament, they are also found in the New Testament. So when you open your Bible, you will look through and you see that The scriptures are actually God's love letter to us and they are filled with his promises to us. Now, it's also worthy of note to know that anything you see in the promise are not just thoughts or heart desires that God is not willing to do. The moment you can find a promise of God, it's an invitation that God wants you to have that thing. Glory be to God. For example... The Bible says none shall be barren in the land. 
it's a promise of God. That barrenness doesn't only even talk about the fruit of the womb alone. It also speaks to every area of your life. It means that you will bear fruit at the time you ought to bear fruit. It's a promise. And so if the word of God says that towards you, then you must be able to believe for him in that area. It's a promise from God. Number two, what you would find in the Bible, in the scripture, are not only promises from God, they are also what we call the principles of God. So you know number one is the promise. Number two are the principles. Whenever you read your Bible, you must look out for those things. You must look out for the promise. You must look out for the principles. Now, if you read the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, particularly the books where you have the parables, embedded in those parables are the principles of God, the principles of Jesus. Now, I'll give an example. Uh, that door over there, I have at the back of the door, I have one million dollars stacked at the back of that door. So I call Pastor Tosi and say, Pastor Tosi, at the back of that door, there is one million dollars there. It is your own. And just because I'm a man of my word, the moment I've said it, I must do it. So I give it to him and say, that back of the door there, the one million dollars is there. However, the door is currently locked. So if he goes there and knocks the door, bam, 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 with the door open. But the one million dollars at the back of the door, is it for him? Is it the owner? Why can't he open it? Because what? He doesn't have the key. The principles in the word of God are the keys to obtain the promises. Are you hearing what I'm saying there? The principles are the key to obtain the promises. For example, see thou a man who is diligent in his business. Scripture says he will stand before kings and not before main men. So, for you to stand before a king, it's a promise you will stand before a king. For I know the thought that I have towards you, they are thought of good and not of evil to give you a hope and a future. But that's not enough. There are principles required for that scripture to be fulfilled. Number one principle is diligence. See thou a man diligent in his business. So not only do we have the principles of promises of God, we also have the principles of God. Number three, when you read the Bible, you must also look out for the prophecies of God. The prophecies. The prophecies are our expected end. Prophecies are like predictions. They are what to look out for and what to expect. For example, the moment you gave your life to Christ... Based on the scriptures, you know your prophecies in Christ. I'm not only talking about you on this other side of eternity. I'm talking about the eternal other life. Meaning that when you die, you know where you are going to. You are not going to hell. Amen. The prophecies of God in the scriptures already gives you a GPS, a roadmap to where you are going to end. And so when you have prophecies, in fact, one of the reasons why we have prophecies in the Bible is to reduce apprehension and anxiety. Because you already know your expectation. You already know what God has in store for you. You already know the plans of God towards your life. That's why we have prophecies. And so you look out for the three things like that every time you read the Bible. Now let me say something here which is also very powerful. Why does the devil attack you? 
The Bible says the thief cometh not to steal, kill, but destroy. The thief cometh but to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come to give you life, and life more abundantly. So why does the devil attack you? You know, most people rate themselves too highly that they think the only reason why the devil attacks them is because of the great purpose that they have in life. And that's true. But the devil attacks you primarily for three reasons. Write this down. Because when you are reading the Bible, it helps you to understand why you must solidify yourself in your Christian theology and your Christian doctrines. It's very important that you are rooted in Christ. So why does the devil attack you? Number one, the devil attacks us, number one, because of the revelation of Christ. Listen, I've shared this to you before and I'll say it again. God does not speak English. The language of God is light. The language of the Godhead is light. The language, meaning that you are going through a tough time, pam, a light bulb moment. You know exactly what to do. So the devil attacks you because of the revelation of Christ. Because the moment Christ is revealed to you, he has no foothold in your life anymore. So it would attack your doctrinal beliefs. It would attack your theology. It would attack what you should believe for. The revelation of Christ is the primary reason why the devil attacks us. It wants to attack your belief in him. It wants to attack that spirit of fasting and prayer. It wants to attack that theology. The revelation of Christ. Number two reason why the devil attacks us. Number two is the glorification of Christ. What does the glorification of Christ mean? They overcame him by the blood of the lamp and by the words of their testimony. Every time you come out and give a testimony that Jesus did for you, you have glorified Christ. And the devil does not want that to happen. So he attacks the glorification of Christ. Are you getting what I'm talking about there? The devil is roaring every day, every night to ensure that Christ is not glorified. But scripture says, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw. The glorification always draws men unto him. Every time there's a testimony, it's an invitation to let other people know that if God has done it for this person, then he can do it for me also. But the devil doesn't want that to happen. He doesn't want the glorification of Christ. Glory be to God. Are you getting something yet today? Number three, why the devil attacks us. Number three, you know, I'm talking about being rooted today. Number three reason why the devil attacks us is because of the manifestations of the sons. The manifestations of the sons. The Bible says the earnest expectation of creation waited eagerly for the manifestations of the sons. The devil doesn't want you to manifest. He doesn't want you to become all that God has called you to be. It is not in his desire. The Bible says the thief, like I always reference, I will say it again and again, is not a thief. He is the thief. Every other thief subscribed from his thiefery. <laughs> the thief. He is the thief. Not a thief. He is the thief. So every time there is a manifestation or there is a seed of manifestations of the sons, the devil shows up there. The NS expectation waited eagerly for the manifestations of the sons of God. You see, when you understand these three things, and the three things I shared with you earlier, it gives you an utmost desire to understand primarily your Christian doctrines, which is very crucial and very important. 
Because it's upon this border you are rooted. It is upon this border you know who you are and what you have in Christ. It's upon all of these foundations. Let me say this to you. If you would hack into the voice of God this year, you will surprise yourself. I'm telling you the truth. If you would hack into this, listen, the more you read the Bible, you will see how rich this word of God is. You will see how possible it is to be great without scheming, without scanning, without running out of scatter, without bowing before men and begging for nothing from anybody. You know that he, ah, you remember what um, uh, Abraham said? He said, I will not say, you will not, I will not come to you and then you now say you are the one that made Abraham rich. There is a gateway in this word. It's a quick path for greatness. I tell you the truth. I submit to you today, this word of God is so rich. It's so powerful. Sharper than any other word. Even Christ quoted this word on, in, on the earth. Christ. So now, I want to help you build bases. In fact, what I'm doing this evening is to help you build a foundation that you are now going to use to build your Christian faith. Particularly those people who are twigs to the side of, oh, my mountain of influence, I want to take over the world. This teaching between now and the end of the month would be your building block. I remember the Bible says it very clear that every man's work shall be tested. If it's made of gold, if it's made of clay, every man, because the fire will come and test every man's work. And that's why this team this month is very crucial. The team and our focus on being rooted, being rooted, being rooted. Let me share something with you. When I came out of campus and we moved to Lagos, I used to think about this. And I would remember then ask a few of my friends, where were the people, I mean, because there were certain people when we were in school that taught us foundation school, that taught us certain things that we know. You look back and say, where, were, where are these people now? Where are these people now? I'll never forget a particular. You see, the, 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 the importance of being rooted is so important that it determines everything about your life. And let me tell you something here. Knowledge does not mean you are rooted. Listen, no. knowledge <laughs> does not mean you are rooted. In fact, let me put it the way to you, and I shared this with the pastors the other day. Let me explain it to you this way. I think I said it on Sunday. I said that the word of God is not complete. It must come from the communication to the, of the word. Number two, the understanding of the word. Number three, the acting and the application of the word. If that three graph is not plotted, you understand the communication, you get into the understanding, but there is no application. You are just, you are just facing the mirror going away, but you cannot remember how you look like. Because those three must be completed before you can witness and enjoy the benefits in Christ. So now, let's go into the scriptures. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6. I shared something with you last week. I said that when you see a seed, if you can give me a picture of a seed, but I'll keep speaking. I said when you see a seed, the seed has three parts in it. It has the embryo, it has the nutritive tissue, and then the last part, it has the protective coats. That's what makes up a seed. 
When the seed is planted in the ground, the seed dies and then brings forth its fruit. However, the seed needs certain conditions for it to germinate. And we talked about those conditions last week. Number one condition, we said it needs water, in its sunlight, in its warmth, in its oxygen, and it needs what, what else? Soil, a good soil. Please put your hands together for yourselves. You are learning. It says it needs a good soil. It says until those three, all those conditions are met, the tree will never come out well. You can plant the tree, the seed. It can be planted, but it will die there. Until all those things are met, until all of those things are met, you're not going to have a good tree or a good fruit. And this is why until you understand your Christian doctrine, many of you, you will realize that when we are done with this series, the basis upon which you pray will change. Even how you pray will change. I'm telling you the truth. Even how you pray will change. So let's go to Colossians 2 verse 6. Colossians 2 verse 6. And we're going to read all the way to verse 10. Everybody, are we there? Open your Bible. Open your Bible. Colossians 6. Open your Bible. And when you are reading it, you'll be marking it so that you can refer to it again. Colossians 2, pardon me, verse 6. Colossians 2 and verse 6. All right, I'll read verse 6. And then you read verse 7, I'll read verse 8, then you read verse 9, like that, like that. Alright? So I start from verse 6. 1, 2, ready, I read. As you therefore as received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in Him. Wait, hold on there. Walk in Him. The Bible says Enoch did what? Talk to me. Enoch did what? But what are we seeing here? So what's the difference between walking with him and walking in him? Together. And some that. In the Old Testament, they walked with him. But now we are in him. Glory to Jesus. I'm, don't let me jump ahead myself. Don't let me jump ahead myself. I wanted to follow me line upon line, precept upon precept. We walk in him. You see, this is the understanding of our righteousness. That we are in him. It's from that point of view we build any other thing we are building for him. But let's keep going. Don't let me jump ahead of myself. Verse 6. You are reading verse 6 now. 1, 2, ready, and you read. So I read verse 8 now. Beware. It says, beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Next verse, verse 9. One, two, read. Verse 10, let's read this together. One, two, ready, and go. Shout it very loud. I'm complete in him. Shut your eyes. Lift your two hands and shout it very loud. I am complete in him. Say it one more time. I am complete in him. So nobody completes you. You are completed in him. Amen. Amen. Have you played a video game before? You finish everything. Maybe um, uh, it's... Uh, 
God of war. They finish everything and they say completed. Mission completed. Meaning there is nothing to play again. Amen. There is no price to pay again. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Say it one more time. I'm completing him. So then, I want to anchor my teaching this evening on our doctrinal beliefs as a church. And I want you to follow very crucially, very closely. But before I do that, this evening while I was in the lounge, I shared something with my pastor some days, some weeks ago, and I felt led to share with you again. Yeah. So I'm going to do that first very quickly, and then I would enter into it. Because you see, there is no way we can talk about our doctrinal beliefs without understanding who we are even serving in the first place. There's no way we're going to talk about our doctrinal beliefs without even understanding God as a person. And so this evening, I want to talk about our foundational Christian work, which is primarily the love of God. So turn your Bible with me to John, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. 1 John 4, 8. Glory be to God. 1 John 4, 8. Let's read this together, everyone. One, two, ready, go. Wait, wait, wait. Let's, let's read like we are reading together. One, two, three, go. He who does not what? Does not do what? Let's try the old CAC style of reading. Can somebody read for us? One person. Let's get somebody a mic. Nicky Matthew, give us a mic. Let's take it back to... Can you say Yoruba one? I like the way they say it in Yoruba. No, don't say Yoruba. Just... Yeah, go and sit down there. So you'll be our... <laughs> All right. We are in Bible school now. Right. One, two, three, go. He who does not know love... No, now. It's one person that... Ah, you can see if you, do, if, you, if you... If you interrupt, they can chase you away from the church forever. All right. One, two, three, go. He who does not know love does not know God, for God is love. All right. What's the name of God? Love. Talk. You, you are getting it. What's the name of God? Love. So whenever we think about God, we think about love because God is love. So if we're looking for a name for God, the name of God is actually love. So let's understand the love of Christ and the love of God before we enter into our doctrinal beliefs because I can't even finish that one today. We're going to go through it for the next two Sundays, two Tuesdays. One after the other. It's a lot, but we're going to go through it. But let's build a foundation first on the understanding of the love of Christ or the love of God. And that gives us a, a, a sort of like an insight so that when we are talking about all of these other doctrines, you are not seeing those doctrinal standpoints or those doctrines as a point where God is trying to take something away from you or God is trying to do something to punish you. You see it from the standpoint that every time God does anything, it's because of love. Glory be to God. So let's go to the book of Genesis. I've taught you this before and I want to say it again. Every time you want to know the original intentions of God, you go back to the books of the beginning. You go back to the books of the beginning. 
and it helps you understand what God was thinking or what God had in mind, all right, when he created the world. So in Genesis chapter 1, if you read chapter 1 and verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, all the way down to verse 25, you see that God had created everything. He created the stars, he created the seas, he created the moons, he created everything. And then the Bible says that God saw everything and said it was good. He saw everything. Now, think about it for a moment. Just imagine the God that you serve. Just boasting in himself for a moment saying, wow, look at the stars. Wow. Look at that hippopotamus. Look at that ayana. Look at that which other animal? Chintoke. Cheetah, okay. Chimpanzee. He says, saw everything. Saw the mountain. Saw the fountains. And then God said, wow, it was good. Then if you read verse 25 of chapter 1 of Genesis, God then said, let us, now, verse 26, verse 26. Quickly, media, I have a long way to go. Then God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. Look at this. And let them have dominion over the fishes of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So the moment God made man, the moment the thought of man came upon the heart of God, the first thing God was thinking about man's life and the entirety of a man's existence was to give man dominion over everything he has created. Now, you understand this, that love is seen in action, not just in words. Love is seen in actions, not in words. So, just imagine this. I share this example. I want to use it again. I am working in Nigerian governments. I've spent 64 years of my life or 50-something years of my life working with the Nigerian government. Now, I'm about to retire. On the day I'm retiring, they give me my pension, and maybe my pension is worth 100 million naira. 100 million naira. So I take the 100 million naira, and I went to build a house. A beautiful five-bedroom duplex. Beautiful house. Then I put one small, you know, Janopi car, just to be, you know, that way they pamper kind of car. Just pamper myself with that car. Now, I'm done with that car. I look at the house. I look at the car. I furnish it with all good things. Then I look at it on the day I'm supposed to enter inside the house. On the day of the opening ceremony of the house. I look at everything with the key of the car in my hands. The key of the beautiful car house in my hands. I look at this house. And I'm saying to myself, wow, this house is beautiful. Oh my God, I do well. Then one young boy is driving past. Or sitting there somewhere. So I called him. And I said, come. Take this key of this house. Take this key of this car. From today, I signed a title deed. I gave it to the guy. And from today, the house is yours. The car is yours. Then I walked away. So the first interaction between God and man was an interaction of love. The first interaction. In fact, you see, because there is a way we teach the love of Christ... As from the standpoint of when Christ, when we sin, listen, this was before Adam and Eve ever sinned though. So the love of God towards them was no conditional based on what they did. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? It wasn't based on what they did. They've not even done anything yet. He gave them the, he gave them the earth. 
If you look at verse 26, verse 28, you see that. The second thing God did was that, that's so the first thing, write that down. The first thing, first there is God created everything and he relinquished it to man. God created the, the first act of love that you see of God. He gave, um, he created everything and then he relinquished it to man. The second thing you will see there is that God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. Now, what manner of a God is this? He could have created us and made us a little higher than baboons or chimpanzees. Just a little bit higher. But then you understand what the angels were thinking. Now, remember, when God was creating man, I hope you know angels were there. So, it, don't take, wait, they don't they talk, say, what is man that you are mindful of them? What is man? So, he gave man the same capacity after his own image, after his likeness. This love affair started a long time ago. So, he gave man his own image. He gave man his own person. Glory to God. So, write that down. Number two, number three, the next thing God then did, after he created man in his own image, he now blessed man. He said, be fruitful, multiply, have dominion, subdue the earth. The third thing God did, he gave man the same creative capacity that he has. The same creative capacity that he has. The fourth thing, because of time, he had finished everything. Then God now said, it's no good for man to be alone. Ah, ah. <laughs> It's not good. He gave them the signs of the earth. He gave them the birds. He gave, he gave them everything. He now said again, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him and help me. Can you see that even before they ever fell, love has started operating. So when the Bible says God is love, it is his nature. There is no bad thing inside of him. There is no evil inside of him. You can't see, you can't take a telescope and find a trace of evil in it. Because this love is so pure, it doesn't do evil. Let's keep going. Now, if you read Genesis chapter 2. Wow, my time. Genesis chapter 2. Okay, I can cover some ground here. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 8. Let's go to Genesis 2 verse 8. Uh, all right, this is very important because I want to clear this here for some people. And the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he puts the man... Whom he had formed. The Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden. I use this example. We are in Ikeja Axis, yeah? And Ikeja is in where? Lagos State. Yes or no? So you see that the garden of Eden was not only the thing in Eden. There was Eden, then there was a garden in Eden. Did you see that? Alright, let's get that. Number two, you would also see that and verse 9, it then says, and out of the garden the Lord made every tree grow that is pleasant in the sight and good for food. That's the first tree that was there. The second one is a tree. Open your Bible. Check it. Let's look at it. Let's look at it here. Wait. Let's look at it here. And out of the garden the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. That's the first tree. The second one, the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden. Number two tree. Number three, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you have not read your Bible, what most people say, because if I ask you now, what did Adam and Eve eat? 
they will say the tree of life. It was not the tree of life. The, 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 what Adam and Eve ate was not a fruit. What they ate was out of the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil. That's what they ate from. Is somebody getting something there? Now, if you go to verse 9, next verse, verse 10. Verse 10, quickly because of time. Now wherever, da 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 Go to the next verse. Okay, let's go to chapter 3 now. Chapter 3. Chapter 3. We are still talking about the love affair of God with man. Now, at this point in chapter 3, you know that Adam and Eve has eaten out of the fruit here. Da 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 da. Because of. All right, let's keep going. Now, if you read chapter 20, let's go to 23. 23. I'm doing a crash course for you. I will expound it later because I want to use to build a foundation for our Christian doctrines. Chapter 20. Let's start from chapter 14. 14. Verse 14 of chapter 3. Verse 14 of chapter 3. Somebody shout, God is love. So, you see, this was, now, I've talked to you about um, pre the fall of man. God's love interaction with man, pre the fall of man. Now, I want to show you God's love and God's interaction with man post the fall of man. And you will see that it was the same. It was the same. The love did not dwindle. That's why when you read the Bible, you must read it in context to how it was written. Let's look at it here. Verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because now, who ate of the, fruit, of the tree? Eve. Who should God talk to first? But you see that it was not him he talked to. Eve or Adam he spoke to first. It was the serpent. Look at what God said to the serpent here. He said, because you have done this, you are what? Cursed than all the cattle, da 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 da. You know that. Next verse, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. In the moment serpents came, Jesus was introduced already. I will put enmity between your seed, it's not the fear of serpents, yeah. He was already talking about the seed of Abraham, which was Christ. Glory to God. And her seed, I said, You shall bruise his heel and what? And you shall, it says, he shall bruise your head and you shall what? Bruise is what? Where is the heel part in the body? Talk now. Where did they pierce in Jesus' body? <laughs> okay, let me keep going because of time. I have, this time I don't fast forward in it. Let, let's keep going. So you see, let's pass. Verse 15, verse 16, verse 17. Now, to the woman, no, go back, to the woman. To the woman, he said, da, da, da. next verse, let's go to the man. Then to the man, he said, because you have eaten the voice of your wife, and you have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. What did he say? Eh? Cause this man. Cause this man. When it was the turn of the serpent, what did he do? When it was the turn of man, what did he do? There has always been a, a way of escape. Turn, 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 tete. 
cost is the ground, not man. You see, this is why you must read the Bible. Because you can be teaching something they taught you. And you just say it's tree of life. Cost is man. Are you getting what I'm saying there? So, the knowledge of God's love for us. Let's keep going because of time. Let's go to 23. 23. Verse 23. Because we're talking about posts. The fall of man now. All right. Therefore, the Lord God sends them out of... Let's go to verse 22. Let's look at 22. Oh, I have time to hit the thing I want to hit. Let's go to 20. Let's start to 20. 20. Somebody shout glory to God. Glory to God. It says, then, then Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Next verse, verse 21. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made what? Tunics of skin and clothed them. Now, if you read the preceding verse, you will see that they went to cut figs and wore it. And that's when God came in the cool of the day. He said, Adam, where are you? He went to cover himself, went to make of himself, you know, uh, figs and white. But when God was going to send them out of the garden, the reason why God sent them out of the garden was because if you read the verse very well, ah, hold on, let's go there. Let's go to, I'm looking for this verse that says, because man have now become like us, Huh? 22. No. Uh, oh, I'm, yes, 22, Abby. Okay, 22, yes. So we're at 20 now, Abby. Go back to 21. 21. So he made the tunics. Now, keep going. Verse 22. 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil, and now lest he put out his hands and take also of the tree of life. Can you see the third tree we're talking about here? The tree of life is now what is going to make man live forever. So in order for man to live forever, and there will never be a plan of redemption, it was out of the love of God that God now said man should leave the garden. He wasn't saying, get out, shoo, look at all the matters you have done, get out. No, it was out of love because the moment they eat of that free, the tree of life, there is no plan of restoration. There is no plan of redemption. And Jesus will not be able to come because they will be like God forever. But you see, God even now did something else there. Before they even now went out, the Bible said he made tunics. If you understand what tunics means, it was made out of clothes. It means that an animal was killed. Oh, yeah. An animal was killed at that point to cover them up. So God did not allow them to go out naked. He covered them up. Now, let me ask you a question. What animal do you think was likely killed when you think of tunics? A lamp. So Christ was slain. Before, so it was a prototype, a reflection of what was about to happen. Are you hearing what I'm talking about there? So, God know the vex for you. Top, top five people, God know the vex for you. Before you sinned, it wasn't vexing. After you sinned, it wasn't vexing still. Are you not excited about that? Do you want to give God a shout of praise for that? Say after me, I'm loved. 
Because he loved me first. So you see, our, our basis of our Christian work is the foundation of love. That God is love. And because God is love, then I am love. Glory be to God. So let's look at our Christian doctrines now. So what is doctrine? Write this down. What is doctrine? A doctrine is a record, is a, okay, a doctrine, I was wondering what I wrote here. A doctrine is a principle of belief, teaching, values, or instructions that are adhered to, believed, taught, and practiced by a given set of people. Let me say it again. A doctrine is a, is a principle of belief, teachings, values, or instructions that are adhered to, believed, taught, and practiced by a given set of people. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13. First Timothy 4 and 13. 1 Timothy 4 and 13. It says, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to what? Doctrine. It says, Till I come. Till I come. Till I come. Don't only read the word. Don't only get excited where we are teaching and exalting you in the word. But you must also give attention to doctrines. Because there are all kinds of doctrines. There are doctrines where people believe that we pray to angels. And angels are the gods that we serve. And so we summon the angels, we pray to them. And no, 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 no. That's a doctrine. And you see, every doctrine which forms your belief system is the premise upon which you will know God. Are you getting what I'm saying there? The, that's how you are going to know God. Is from that viewpoint, you will see God. And if your doctrinal convictions and your God, doctrinal perspectives are not shaped, you will be knowing a God that is foreign to you. Even though you'll be coming to church. You'll be coming to church. I know people who have come to me to ask me questions. I'm wondering, how did... Some people, you, 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 I mean, think about it. You aborted five years ago or ten years ago. And then you are back now and you're thinking that, oh, the, you know, maybe the reason why my career is because I, listen, the Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He says, behold, all things are passed away. All things are new now. You see, if you don't have your doctrinal beliefs, you will still be towing, tossed and fro by any wind of doctrines. So anything that happens to you, you think about it that maybe it was what I did for God or what I did not do to God. That's why it's important that you should not only know the word, you should not only be excited about exhortation, but you must also hack into doctrines. Number two, open again with me. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. The Bible says, they continued in the apostles' doctrines. They continued. They did not stop. They continued in the apostles' doctrines. The apostle doctrines there means the protocol. You see, there are protocols in the spirit realm, protocols upon which we come before God. And those are doctrines. Shout is a protocol. Glory to God. Thanksgiving is a protocol. Glory to God. Giving is a protocol. Glory to God. But all of these things are doctrines. And let me tell you something. In our generation, the devil is attacking doctrines like never before. 
Because what you saw of that grace movement is not that the, do- God, the devil was attacking the body of Christ. It was attacking doctrines and ultimately, once a doctrine is attacked, the body of Christ is affected. So if you know your doctrines, your doctrines are your weapons of war. They are what you guard yourself to to enter into battles. But if you don't know your doctrines, you don't even know the goals that you have. You don't even know the problems upon which you stand from. In fact, I like to put it this way, that doctrines are the foundation. If you're going to build any building, you must lay a foundation. The best your foundation, the higher you can take your buildings to. But if you don't have a good foundation, you can't build anything. That's why every Christian must understand their doctrines. You must understand what makes you you. Very important. So that you are not toast. Let me tell you something. In our generation, we are going to see the rise of many false prophets that will look true. And you will take many things, hook, line, sinker. Listen, uh, Simon Jonah or Bar Simon, uh, Bar Jesus. To do miracle is, is, is nothing extraordinary even for people who are magicians. But because there is a miracle doesn't mean it's coming from the source of Jesus. So you can be celebrating miracles, but it doesn't mean it's coming from the right source. That is why you must have a doctrinal conviction, a doctrinal persuasion, and you must defend it, guard it jealously, like you are guarding the word because it's the word. So let's keep going. Write this down. Foundational thoughts. Number one, once you are born again, you are in a new kingdom operating in another rule and principles. Once you are born again, you are in a new kingdom operating in another rule and principle. I shared with you scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. If any man be in Christ, is a new creature. Behold, all things are passed away. All things have become new. Colossians chapter 1 verse 12 to 13. Colossians 1 verse 12 to 13. Colossians 1 verse 12 to 13. Let's go to the verse 13. Verse 13. Verse 13. Let's read this together. One, two, ready and read. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom. Are you still in darkness? Are you still in darkness? Are you still in darkness? Number two, foundational thoughts that you must hold eye. In this new kingdom, you now have a new lifestyle based on the word of God. You now have a new lifestyle based on the word of God. Now, because of time, I'm hoping I'll be able to touch one of our doctrinal beliefs. And what I'm going to be doing all through these teachings is to root us deep. Because if you are not rooted in these things, you will not be able to come to God boldly with your rights. Remember what I said to you every all the time. I said, when you read the Bible, you see three things inside. Number one is what? Number two? Number three? What does the devil come to attack? Number one? Is your, is your book right? Look at it. Number one? Number two? Number three? Manifestations of the saints. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. So let's look at our doctrinal beliefs and convictions and persuasions. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. God bless you. Say amen. Twice. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. Are we there? Are you there? Are we in your Bible? Are you there? It says, I'll read. It says, therefore, 
leaving the discussion of elements. Give me the King James Version. The King James Version. The King James Version. Okay. Are you fantastic? It says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ. Read it again. Leave, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Next one, verse 2. Verse 2. Of the doctrine of baptism, of the laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgments. Go back to verse 1. Verse 1. It says, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. So in the next two Sundays, I'm going to tear this thing down. All of this thing now. I'm going to tear it down. The high point of this teaching is not for only you to know it, but you should be able to teach others. Touch four people and say, you are being taught to teach. You are being, for, you are being taught Alright, so the first one, write this down. These are the courses we are going to take. Number one, the doctrine of righteousness. I will start on that one today. If I can't finish it today, we'll continue next week. Number two is what we read from the book of Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1 to 2. Is the foundational doctrines of Christ. The foundational doctrines of Christ. Now, under the foundational doctrines of Christ, you have Things like what you saw in the Bible that we just read there, the repentance from dead works. I'll teach all this and I'll explain what it means to you. Faith towards God. Baptism. And you know when we talk about baptism, we have the fire baptism and we have the water baptism. Number two, number four, under, found, under the foundational doctrines of Christ, we have the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands. And under laying on of hands, you understand laying on of hands for healing, Laying on of hands to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Laying on of hands for spiritual impartation. And laying on of hands for ordinations. For ordinations. So I'm going to teach all of those things. Number four, under the foundational doctrines of Christ. It's right in the Bible. Right? Is the resurrection from the dead. We are going to enter eschatology. The resurrection of the dead. Under that one, we will understand the judgment seat of Christ, the great white throne judgment. We are going to touch those things. I hope you'll be able to sleep at night. Because anything that seems like fear, believers, what is there? They are going to blow the sound now in the next two minutes. Will you be there in heaven? Yeah. Am I with the saints? Yeah. Well, you hear those kind of things, you should be excited. You should be like, glory to God. Hallelujah. Alright, number three, under doctrinal beliefs, doctrine of sanctification. Number four, our doctrine of holiness. Number five, our doctrine of the law, doctrine of the law. And under the doctrine of the law, we have the three. We have the law of Moses, the law of sin and death, and the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The law of Moses, the law of sin and death, and the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We're going to teach all of those things. Number six, we have the doctrine of deliverance. Alright, and that's where demon and demonology comes to play. Understanding the devil. Who is he? What did he say? They are about 
10 names in the Bible about the devil. The prince of the power of the air, the thief, the accuser of the brethren. And all of those names have its function and what they do. And in fact, in your life, you will see a trace of that. Not in your life. When you see something rise up in your life, you can tell which one is playing out here. If you have understanding. Glory be to God. This year, every new member is Bible school. We have enrolled into, ah, no way. Into the new Bible school. Number seven is the doctrine of prosperity. And that's where we have giving, receiving, and all of those things. You know, seed time, harvest, tithes, offering, all of that. And final one I'm going to teach for this level would be on fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer and the ministry of the word. Fasting and prayer. So, that will be. So, because, before, because of the time that I have left, let's go. I have 10 more minutes, so let's go into the doctrine of righteousness. Can we start with that? Can we start with that? But before we start with that, I want you to jump on your feet and give God a shout. Just, just give God a shout. No, no, no. Give him a shout. No, I'm not, I'm not in the new. Give him a shout one more time. Give him a shout one more time. a shout one more time. The Bible says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the words of their testimony. The moment there is light, the devil is threatened. Oh my goodness. Give God a shout one more time. Take one minute and pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. All right, be seated. Be seated. The doctrine of righteousness. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 17. Hebrews 5, 17. Open your Bible there. I won't be able to finish it today. I'll continue next week. But we'll start today. Hebrews 5, 17. You see, those, those watching online, if you can make it down for getting money on Tuesdays, please, I beseech you by the mercy of God, don't miss getting money again. Don't. It's, it's, it, it, don't, you know. Amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 17. 17, 17. Hebrews 5, 17. Not 14, 17. All right, please read for me, sir. It's there already. Hebrews 5. 14, pardon me, 14. Sorry, hold on. Pardon me, pardon me. Romans 5, 17. Why did I say Hebrews? Romans 5. Romans 5. Amen. Glory to God. It says that if by one man's offense... Death reigned by one. It says, much more they which received abundance of grace and of the gifts of, self, of, of righteousness shall reign in life by one. Jesus Christ. Quick example. 
our reader. What do they call them? Huh? Okay, whatever that is. Come. If by one man, let me have another man, sir. It says that if by one man offense came, that if by one man's offense, death reigned by one. This is Adam. How much more they which receive abundance of grace shall and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one. Now watch this. We know that sin came to the earth by this man here called Adam. So he was the progenitor of sin. He introduced sin. He brought sin to the earth. It's just like a delivery man who brings a package to your house. He brought the package of sin to the doorposts of the earth and he delivered it to everybody's house. What's a rider? <laughs> delivered it. Everybody got a package in their house. Delivered in their hands and in their hearts. Now, how much more if one man can... Because this is the basis upon which Christ's death can be believed. That if one man can bring sin, then one man can bring life. This is why people argue that... I, it's because sometimes spiritual things are too deep that you feel like, okay, then why would Christ's death mean that we can now receive life? Then anyway, the sin of Adam brought death to the world. It's the same death that can consume death because death would always have to swallow death. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's why the Bible says, oh, death, where is your sting? Because Christ came and paid the price for it. And guess what happened here? The moment he paid a price, sorry, paid a price, I don't define way to beat you, says. Paid a price. His wife says, well, they just looking. All right. The moment he paid that price, <laughs> the price did not only come with, say, oh, whoa, whoa, Chuko, you look so good. I love you so much. Finally, I've died for you. Imagine that was Jesus doing. He said, finally, I died for you. Don't mind that devil. Just do it now. He turned the package, give him that. Don't mind him. Oh, look at you. No. Christ has a nature which is righteousness. He then gave us a gift. I don't want to use the Bible, but let me use the Bible. It's too spiritual. Let me use my phone. He then says, the abundance of grace there was talking about the gift of righteousness. The gift of righteousness is the abundance of grace. That he lavished himself, the nature of Christ, is very pressing. Now this is to let you understand this. No, don't let me jump ahead of myself. So I'm the sinner, right? He then gives me the gift of righteousness. Did I buy the gift? What is a gift in the first place? A gift. It means I didn't have to do anything for it. He gave it to me on his own accord. Anybody that gives you gifts and say, I just thought about you on your birthday and I bought a gift for you. Did you put gun on their head to say they buy it? They bought it and gave it to you. They paid for it. They paid, he paid for it. If for him to be able to give it to you, he paid to give it to you. And the blood of his precious son Jesus was the price that was paid for us to get this thing. Now guess what? What makes us look like God, like Jesus, is the same gift of righteousness. So when God sees God, Jesus, is the gift of righteousness, is the same righteousness that Jesus has that we have. 
Jesus' righteousness is not higher than our own. I know it's too hard for you to believe, but I tell you the truth. The righteousness of Jesus is not, uh, is not Pentium 2 and then we are Pentium 0. It's the same, what's that thing they call it now? It's the same OS. So if it's on OS 6, is that OS 6? 16. 16. If it's on OS 16, we are on OS 16. And if at all they have to upgrade in heaven, which they will not, they will upgrade us the same, just like him. So we have the gift of righteousness. It's a gift. And when you get a gift, you don't do anything. There is nothing you do to top up the gifts. Oh my goodness. There is nothing you do to top up that gift. It's a gift. Let me say something. When the Bible says, now therefore let us come boldly to the throne of grace, whereby we may obtain mercy, the response in the throne of grace, what they see you when they see you proceeding towards them there, is the sight of righteousness. Because there is a sense called righteousness. That's why Jesus can go before the Father. As I pray, so I see my Father. How am my Father? I want. It's the gift of righteousness. So when you come before God, they can see the righteous nature, nature inside of you. It's not what you are doing. It's not what you have done. It's a gift. It's a gift. Let's a gift. It's a gift. Guys, you see, you must settle this thing in your mind. You must settle this thing in your mind. Listen, this thing plays a part in your prayer life. I tell you the truth. It plays a part in what you believe for in life. I tell you the honest truth. The moment you are, you are drunk in your righteous nature, I tell you all these things that you think you did before, you didn't do before, and all those things that exempt you from things from God, you will shut the door at it because you will know that every time you come before God, it is not you that is going before God. It is Jesus that is going before him. Glory be to God. This is the concept of grace in abundance. The gift of righteousness. Glory be to God. Thank you, both of you. Let me write this down. Please put your hands together for them. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5. 21. For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in what? Him. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Oh my goodness. How many righteous people do I have here? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Again open another one. Romans chapter 10. Because of time. No, let's go into that. So write these things down. Number one. It is the very nature. I'm talking about righteousness now. The doctrine of righteousness. The doctrine of righteousness is the very nature you receive from God the moment you got born again. If any man be in Christ is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are now new. All things are new. All things are new. Give me one handkerchief. Give me another handkerchief. Yes, come. Stay with me. Watch this. Watch this. Hold this one with you. This is the new one. All right. Watch this. Look at this one.
Look at this. Now let's assume it's dirty. Then I give it to him. And I say, use it to go and cook. I say, go and use it to cook. Will you use it to cook? Why not? I'm telling you to use it to cook. <laughs> now, I use it anyhow, based on my desire and how I want to use it. Then, I now come to him, that's imagine this is God. And I say, not even, I'm sorry Lord, forgive me all my sins. Oh. I just say, from today, I believe you are Christ. Then, he forgets that old one that I've used anyhow. Then gives me a clean slate. A new one. I didn't do anything, oh. Now, guess what? In the memory of the Godhead is that they don't remember former things. In the memory, they, 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 they don't remember what has happened in the past. The moment you become a new creation, they don't remember what you have done before. In fact, this is how it puts it. The old you, which is what we call the old man, died the moment you gave your life to Christ. The old man died completely. That side of you never existed before. Why do you keep taking it to the cross? Why do you keep taking that side to the throne of grace? Why do you keep praying about that side and not praying about the new side? Are you seeing that when the revelation of Christ is not known to a believer, you will pay the penalty of it with the devil? The revelation of Christ. 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 So you are new. You have blood poured, blood washed. You are fresh, new. Today's bread. Thank you. Quickly. All right, my time is up. Write this down. And righteousness, it gives you the ability to reign in life. It gives you the ability to reign in life. Living in God's presence without a feeling of guilt, inferiority, or condemnation. Living without a feeling of guilt, it gives you the ability to reign in life, living in, a, in God's presence without a feeling of guilt, inferiority, or condemnation. Number three, it's a gift of salvation. I've said that before. Number four, your righteousness is the same as Jesus' own. Number five, your righteousness is your tool of dominion on the earth. It's your tool of dominion. Number, number what? Number six, it gives you free, uncontrollable, uncontrolled access to God's presence. Your righteousness gives you free, uncontrolled access to God's presence. My, my little daughter doesn't need a time to come to my room. She just walks in. Listen, it's not when you say, my helper will help me. Is your present help in time of need. Is your very present help. Is your very present. When they say very present, it means it's unshaken. It's not going, you know they go anywhere. It's always there. It's, your, it's always there. It's always there. The problem is that we've not learned to, to you know, just enjoy his presence and know that he's always there. Number what? Number six, it gives you boldness. And number seven, it gives you peace. It gives you peace. Somebody shouted very loud. 
Oh, this is my time now. I just finished at my time. 8.15. You people are planning. These people, they used to plan. Hallelujah. Lift your hands. To God. Lift your hands. Hallelujah. To God. Sing to God. One more time. Sing to God. Your hands. Sing most high, most high, God of heaven, most high, ruler of the earth, most high, most high, King of nations. Raise your hands, raise your hands. Lift your hands. Sing most greatly blessed by today's message because God still has so much he wants to share with you. So stay connected every week to experience uplifting and life-changing moments in his presence.